Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Fort Worth Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Awesome. Let's turn over to Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to minister down here later in this chapter, but I'm going to start with verse 1. And uh, let me just give you a story. It's kind of a funny story that happened to me, but I was raised over here in Arlington, uh, Texas, and I was an introvert when I was a kid. I was okay around people that I knew, but boy, new people, it just petrified me. I would freeze. And yet I was so uh, driven to lead people to the Lord that I not only went to the adult visitation, but I went to the youth visitation. I started a youth visitation, knocking on doors, trying to lead people to the Lord. But it was all, it was forced. Uh, I didn't do it because I loved the people. I did it because I was condemned that if I didn't do this, their blood was going to be on my hands. And so anyway, I'd make four or five visits on Thursday and four or five visits on uh, Tuesday. But then I had this experience, March the 23rd, 1968, and God just showed me his love and all of a sudden you couldn't shut me up. I witnessed to everything that moved. And instead, I used to pray and say, oh God, don't let there be anybody home because I got credit if I just knocked on the door. I got credit for going out, you know, and that's all I was after was credit. I didn't care about the people, but... Uh, after I fell in love with the Lord, I started praying, oh God, don't let me go to any home where they aren't there. I wanted to just reach people. Yeah. And people were telling me they were Christians. They'd pull coins out of their pocket and they'd say, well, of course I'm a Christian. It says right here in God we trust. I had people tell me that. And they didn't know what a Christian was. So anyway, we started coming up with gimmicks. And finally, one day I'd been knocking on doors all morning and nobody was home. And so I went to this one house and I said, oh God, I, I pray that this person is home. And I said, if they're home, I'm going to witness to them somehow. I'm going to get past all of their objections. And so anyway, I knocked on the door and this, this woman came to the door and she had a chain on her door and she just opened it a little bit and you could just see one eyeball peeking out through there. And she says, what do you want? And I said, praise God, I finally found a Christian. And she says, what makes you think I'm a Christian? And see, that was good because everybody else had been trying to convince me they were already a Christian. So this woman, I already had her where I wanted her. And uh, I said, well, you got this scripture out here on your fence. And she says, scripture? Man, she unlatched that thing and walked out on the front porch. And she says, where's the scripture? And I said, right here, Philippians 3, 2. Beware of dogs, amen. And I just kept reading. <laughs> I was able to read all of Philippians chapter three before she could recover and shut the door in my face. Praise God. So let's start reading here in Philippians chapter three. In verse one, it says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is sure. It is safe. Beware of dogs. There it is, right there in the Bible. You didn't know you were scriptural. I'm not going to preach on this because I've got, I'm wanting to get down to these others, but I just thought it'd be good to start with that. And it goes on to say, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. 
for we are the circumcision. You know, there is a great play on words right here, but if I start explaining it, I'll get stuck here. So I'm going to pass it up. It says, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And so here he's beginning to say some really important things. Most of us really do have confidence in the flesh. This is why it's hard for most people to trust God for healing, for prosperity, for joy, for peace, because they, their trust, their confidence is all in something physical. If they can't see it, taste it, hear it, smell it, or feel it, then it's just hard for the average person to believe, to trust, and to do things. And yet Paul is saying that a Christian should have no confidence in the flesh. He was living completely different than what the average Christian lives today. The average Christian has asked Jesus to come into their life. They got an insurance policy for the future. And when they all get to heaven, then they're going to trust God. But right now they are absolutely relying upon themselves in nearly every single area. This is not the way that God intended it to be. And that's the reason that we don't see a greater manifestation of God's blessing in our life. And in verse 4, he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. You know, there's some people that think, well, the reason you don't have any confidence in the flesh is because you're just such a dud. <laughs> you know, I never was the sharpest knife in the drawer. If I was God, I wouldn't have picked me. But you know what? You can't say that about Paul. Paul was the most educated man of his day. There was nobody that knew more than he did. He was raised at the feet of Gamaliel. And I mean, this was one powerful man. And not only did he have all of this education, but he also had, uh, he was in line to become, you know, the next person ruling over things. He was the one that was persecuting the Christians. I mean, he was a super influential man. He had a lot of reasons to be confident in who he was and all of his accomplishments. But he says, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in his flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. You know, these things don't mean a lot to us, but these were big statements. There were not many people that could claim this. Paul was a, uh, I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. This was one powerful man in the natural realm. In verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Notice he didn't say sinless. There is nobody sinless, but he was blameless. That means that when he did mess up, when he failed, he repented of it. He offered the sacrifices. He did the things that the law required. He wasn't perfect, but man, he was striving towards it and he was following every detail of the law down to the, you know, the smallest little deal. In verse seven, but what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. You know, that's just a kind of a nice, clean, sanitized way of saying something that other people would say differently. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but, you know, anyway, it's just manure. He says everything, 
everything that he had accomplished, all of his great degrees, all of the recognition that he had got, everything that God had done through him, or rather that he had done in the name of the Lord, he says, I count it all like manure. You know what we do with our manure? We frame it and put it on a wall. Amen. I actually had somebody take a big old cow patty and wait until it got hard and stuck it in a frame and gave it to me. And I kept it in the garage for a while and I think Jamie threw it away. But we brag on all of our accomplishments and there's a place for that. There's nothing wrong. If you have some kind of a job where you have to have a degree in order to have the job and stuff, there's nothing wrong with all that. But I'm just saying that Paul was saying that everything that he had gained, he counted it all but rubbish, trash. Nothing compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus. And right here is one of the things that distinguished him from most of us. It's the reason that he was able to write half the Bible. It's the reason that when he walked into a town, people said, he that has turned the world upside down has come here also. It's the reason that everywhere he went, he had a revival or a riot, and it was because he counted Jesus more important than anything else. His number one priority was Jesus. Today, we would call that a fanatic. But I'm telling you, it's the fanatics that God flows through and uses. If you diffuse light, it loses its power. But if you can concentrate it into one focus point, man, you can cut through metal with a laser. The secret, Paul said right here in the Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to get down to these verses in a moment. This one thing I do. People today brag about being able to multitask. They just talk about it like that as if it's wonderful. All that means is you do multiple things poorly. <laughs> That's my definition. And I know that there's people that don't like that. But I'm telling you that one of the Bible principles is that you've got to be focused. God has a calling on every person's life in here and you've got to be focused on that. And if you're one of these that can do all of these different things and you can just give yourself to so many things, it's, you may wind up being you know, good at many different things, but you'll never be great at one thing. People have to focus on what it is that God called you to do. And this is what Paul is saying. He says he gave up everything. He counted it all but dung so that he may win Christ. And in verse 9, and be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law. Now his righteousness, his right standing, his holy actions was better than most people. But he said it was by the law. Anytime you talk about being righteous by the law, you're talking about your own actions and your own performance. You're talking about your flesh. You're talking about trusting in what you have done. And Paul said that I don't want to be found in my own righteousness which is by the law, based on performance, based on an adherence to a certain standard. But that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. You know, this is really important, the wording right here. It says, but that which is through the faith of Christ. 
That's what the King James says. If you've got the nearly inspired version, it says by faith in Christ. But the King James right here says you are uh, righteous by the faith of Christ. There's a huge difference between those two. You know, um, I think I'm going to come back, but look over here in Galatians chapter 2. It's a parallel passage of Scripture. It's the per same person as the Apostle Paul writing. And look at what he said in Galatians chapter 2 and in verse 16. He says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, that's by your performance, by what you do. And the word justify, here's a little layman's definition. It just means just as if I'd never sinned, justified. And you are not made righteous or in right standing or just as if you had never sinned by keeping the law, by doing good things, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Here again, see, is that same thing. By the faith of Christ, not just by faith in Christ, because it goes on to say you are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ. So right here in phrases back to back, he talks about you are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ and you have believed in Jesus Christ. So it is true that yes, we put our faith in Christ, but it's also true that it is not our faith in Christ that justifies us. It's his faith that justifies you, that makes you righteous. Jesus lived holy for you. Jesus kept every precept of the law and Jesus earned right standing with God because he deserved it. He was 100% holy and he lived perfectly holy and complete and he deserves righteousness. And when we put our faith in Jesus, then his faith and His righteousness comes to us by, based on His faith, based on what He's done. That's huge. That's huge. Because your faith may fluctuate. But you know what? His never does. He never changes. And man, it just changes everything. If you can understand that it is not your good works, it's not what you are doing that makes God love you and be pleased with you. It's what Jesus did and you receive it all by putting faith in what Jesus has done. And then His faith and everything that His faith has obtained becomes yours. Man, that is huge. And when you understand this, see, then the devil can't come to you and condemn you. If you are thinking that it's your good works and that you've got to do all of these things, you've got to pray, you've got to go to church, you've got to pay your tithes, you've got to study the Word, you've got to treat your wife right, you've got to keep from getting angry, you've got to do all of these things right. And if you believe that, well then I can guarantee you you're going to fail somewhere along the way. You aren't going to do it perfectly. None of us can live perfectly. You know, I've been seeking God my whole life. I never went through a period of rebellion. I never rebelled at God. And yet I guarantee you, I don't have any confidence in myself. I can't stand before God and say that I deserve anything. I don't deserve the good things that God's doing in my life. Man, that's obvious, isn't it? You know, right before my mother died, she was, she was uh, with my sister. And... Uh, 
I was down there visiting her and this is just a month or two before she died and she was asking me about what God was doing and I was telling her about all of the things all around the world and people's lives that are being changed and she was really blessed to hear it. But as I was sharing all this with her, she said, Andy, you know that's God. And I said, yes, ma'am, I know this is God. And then she said, you aren't smart enough to do this. <laughs> Nothing like your mother telling you you aren't smart enough to do this, to put you in your place. But you know, I agreed with her 100%. I'm not smart enough. I don't deserve any of these things that God's been doing. God has just been awesome to me. And it's not because I'm smart. It's not because I've done anything. It's because I have put faith in Jesus and I have been receiving from God because of who Jesus is. Any good thing that's ever happened in my life, it's because I have held on to Jesus. I honestly feel... I honestly feel like all I'm doing is just clinging to Jesus for all I'm worth, and Jesus will make you look good. He will make you look good. You know, I had a vision when I was in South Africa of Jamie and me pushing this huge boulder up a hill. And I mean, it was so heavy and it was so steep that we had to just keep going. You couldn't take a breath at any moment. If we would have stopped for a moment, we would have lost our momentum and that thing would have rolled back and just killed us. And I saw us pushing this huge boulder up a hill and then we crested the hill and it was along the top and it was relatively easy. And that was like when we started on television. All of a sudden, you know, it, it, things were beginning to work. It looked like we were going to live and not die, man. And uh, people's lives started being changed and it became relatively easy. And then I saw us pushing this same boulder and we started down the other side of the hill. And now it was rolling so fast that we were running just as fast as we could to keep up with it. And you know what? That really is descriptive of what's happened in our life. And I am not making anything happen. I'm not doing something. It's just you seek God, you trust Him, and God will do awesome things in your life. I couldn't tell you how many people come to me. I was praying with a couple tonight that they were asking God for freedom and all of these kind of things, and yet their life, they were just rebelling at God. They weren't cooperating with God. And I preach grace, and I believe in grace. And I told them, I said, God loves you. And I said, God wants you to set you free. And I prayed with them for them to be set free. But I said, it's just like you're chasing the devil out the front door and then opening up the back door and he's coming right back in. I said, if you really want to get free, you need to start cooperating with him and start doing what he tells you to do instead of being in rebellion. That's not contrary to grace. That's not against grace. You know what? You need to cooperate. But if you would just seek God and hold on to Him and put faith in Him, then God does all of these awesome things in your life. You'd find out that things would work better if you would just seek God and let God flow in your life. And so anyway, back to this verse in verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. Twice in this verse, it talks about it's the faith of Jesus that justifies you, that makes you right. And not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. 
And then go down to verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of Christ, not by faith in Christ. Again, there's a place to say that. It's not 100% wrong, but I am living by the faith of Christ. The very first tape that I ever put out, it was on reel-to-reel -reel tape, was entitled The Faith of God. And it's a whole hour and a half long teaching about that you don't just have human faith that you're putting in Him. But when you get born again, God gives you His supernatural faith. You have His faith. It's not human faith. There is a human faith, but there, this is supernatural faith. Every born-again believer has God's supernatural faith on the inside of you. And yet the average Christian will say, Oh God, just give me more faith. You don't need more faith. You've got God's supernatural faith. And Romans chapter 12 verse 3 says that God has dealt to every man the measure of faith, not different measures. There is only one measure. You know, if we had a soup kitchen going here tonight, and if y'all came by, if I was dipping out the soup and serving you, and if I had one ladle, then everybody would get the measure. But if I had a ladle for some people, and a tablespoon for others, and a teaspoon for others, and an eyedropper for another, and a straw for another, well, then there would be different measures. And this is what most people think, that, you know, when God was passing out faith, you were gone to the restroom or something, amen, and you didn't get any. You don't doubt that faith works. You just doubt that you have any. And we say, oh, God, give me more faith. It says God has dealt to every man the measure. There's only one measure. And Paul said the measure that he was using was the faith of Jesus Christ. He had the faith of Jesus. You have the faith of Jesus. You don't have a faith problem. You got a knowledge problem. And it's because we are trusting in our flesh because we are looking in the natural realm instead of just looking to Jesus and totally sold out and totally focused on Jesus. We are trying to gain things from God based on our own goodness. And it's actually the mercy of God that doesn't give you what you deserve not the justice of God. If God gave us what we deserved, we'd all go to hell. It's the mercy of God that you aren't getting anything because if you got what you deserved, it'd be bad. And so it's the faith of Jesus Christ, he said that he lives by. And then he says in the next verse, this is Galatians 2.21, I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness come by the law, in other words, if Right standing with God comes because you're a good person and because of all of the things that you've done and God owes it to you and God is going to respond to all of your goodness, then Christ is dead in vain. You frustrate the grace of God. This is huge. This is why most people right here are not receiving from God is because they have it in their mind that God is responding to them proportional to their goodness. And that is not true. If that's the way you think, that's the very thing that's stopping God from moving in your life. You have to come and recognize it's based on His righteousness. It's based on what He's done. It's His faith. And all you have to do is humble yourself and receive it by faith. You have to put faith in what He has done for you not what you do for Him. 
And once you understand this, it just takes all the pressure off of you. You know, there's a scripture where Jesus said, agree with your adversary quickly while you're in the way. And there's a number of ways you can apply that. But one of the ways that I apply that is when the devil comes at me and starts saying, you sorry thing, what makes you think God would use you? What makes you think God would bless you? I used to argue with him and I used to say, well, I've been fasting and I've been praying and I've been reading the word more than I ever have. And I would start trying to justify myself. The moment I do that, I lose. But now I use that verse and I just say, man, I agree with you. I don't deserve it. I think I'll just get it in the name of Jesus. I think I'll pray and say in the name of Jesus. And if you understand this, it just takes all the pressure off of you. You know, most of you can't relate exactly to what I'm saying, but a minister, when you stand up, you know, like I told you, I was an introvert. To stand in front of this many people is something that would have killed me. I couldn't do this. I couldn't look at a person in the face and talk to them. And if God doesn't come through, I'm in trouble. And I used to really, really struggle with this. Anyway, I could give you a long story on that. But my point in sharing this is that when you stand up here like this, I have to have God come through because in my natural self, I can't stand in front of people. I've read uh, surveys before and they say that public speaking, people dread that more than they dread death. The average person hates that more than death. And that's the way that I was. And so anyway, I have to have God come through. And when I first started ministering, I thought I had to do something. And man, I made a commitment that I would fast and pray at least two weeks before every time I ministered. <laughs> Did you know I've ministered the last three nights? That would have been six weeks worth of fasting and prayer before that. If I was still trying to live by this standard, I'd be plumb gone by now. You just can't live that way. But anyway, I was trying to earn it. I was trying to be good enough. Oh God, would you please use me? And it has literally transformed my life and set me free to recognize that God doesn't use me because of my goodness. He uses me in spite of my badness. And he uses me just because I put faith in him. And it has freed me up. And now when the devil comes to condemn me and say, you haven't done enough of this and that, I just tell people about Jesus instead of about me. And it has set me free. And I'm telling you, there's some of you that you're praying for prosperity, deliverance, uh, healing in your body or whatever. But the very thing that is holding you back is that you feel you have to be good enough to earn it. You don't deserve anything. You don't deserve anything from God. And you know, if you are a person who is trusting in yourself, if your confidence is in the flesh, if you are justified by your works of the law and not by the faith of Christ, then I've just offended you. Because you are sitting there thinking, well, you're saying that all of my good works don't give me a leg up on anybody else. I'm not any closer to God. That's exactly what I'm saying. And you know what? That just, that offends religious people. It offends people who are trusting in themselves. But it's really good news. Because I can guarantee you, regardless of how good you are, I have, you know, I was raised in church. I've never gone through rebellion and stuff. And I've lived a relatively quote unquote holy life. And yet I can guarantee you, I just, Satan condemns me 
and comes at me. And there's times that I just have to sit there and say, thank you, Jesus, that it's not about me. I lived holier than most of you have ever thought about and it's still not good enough. So I'm just telling you, you hadn't got a chance. <laughs> you might as well just run up a white flag and just start receiving from God through Jesus and not based on what you have done. Amen. So turn back over here to Philippians again. Philippians chapter three. And so the Apostle Paul, again, in verse 9, he said, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. There is a faith righteousness versus a works righteousness. And the body of Christ as a whole is into works righteousness, trying to be good enough to earn something from God. And it is your faith that is in yourself that is the very problem. If you, you have to get beyond faith in yourself and your own goodness and you have to put faith in a Savior and not in what you are doing. And that's awesome. In verse 10, he says that, and here's the results of all of this, being found in the righteousness which is of God, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Notice that all of these things about not being righteous by works of the law, but being righteous by the faith of Christ, it was all said before you can know him and the power of his resurrection. You know, last night, I know most of you weren't there, but I talked about eternal life is knowing God, having intimate relationship with God. And most Christians don't even realize that this is possible in this life. They think that this is reserved for heaven. And so they just get saved and stuck and want to just basically hold on. And then we sing songs about when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. And we look at heaven as where everything's going to be awesome. But they just go through their life without an intimacy with God. And I was teaching last night that that is not the way it's supposed to be. This is what Paul is talking about when he says that I may know him. He already knew him. He had seen him on the road to Damascus. But Paul wanted to do more than just have knowledge about him, just intellectual knowledge. He wanted to know him, experience him. You know, in the Bible, it says that Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and brought forth a son. It's talking about intimacy, the most intimate relationship you can have between a man and a woman. Between a man and a woman. And that's knowing a person. And this is what he's talking about. He wants to know Christ, not know about Him, not just have facts and information, but he wants to know Him. And brothers and sisters, there's people all over this room. You know, you're, you're awesome. You're here on a Saturday night. I am not ragging on anybody. I'm commending you for being here. But I can just guarantee you there are lots of people right here in this room that don't know God. You might be born again. You may know about Him, but you don't know Him. You don't hear Him speak to you. 
You aren't led by him. Again, again, I'm not trying to put anybody down, but people come to me and tell me their problems and I think, how, do, how could you get in this big of a mess? It has to be supernatural. It has to, you have to have demonic help to be able to do this. <laughs> One person could not make this big of a mess out of their life. It's just impossible. And yet they claim to be born again and to know the Lord and you just wonder how this happened. It happens because they don't know Him. They know about Him. They believe that He exists and they're waiting for someday in heaven to be able to have a relationship. But I'm telling you, you should know Him now. You should have an intimate relationship with God now. You should be able to hear God speak to you and tell you things. It's just awesome. I couldn't tell you how many times God has saved my life, has told me things. You know, the Lord spoke to me about this building that you saw and uh, four years ago, He just told me we we're going to have to do something. We start need to make plans. And I mean, things just fall into place and here it is. It's coming to pass and I didn't make it happen. I didn't do anything. I just am knowing God. God speaks to me and things work. I'm telling you, if you would just know Him, if you had relationship with Him, God would give you warning. It says over in the 16th chapter of John, I believe it's verse 13, it says, the Holy Spirit, when He has come, will show you things to come. Man, how would that change your life? If you could tell before something bad happened, God could tell you and warn you about it. You know, the Lord spoke to Jamie about some money that we had in the stock market in the first part of 2008 and said, you need to take it out and do something else with it. And we did. And you know what? We didn't crash. And then during the crash, when everything went down 50%, we got back in and we increased 60% in the first nine months of the Great Recession. Because you know what? God will speak to you. God will tell you things. You can listen. Isn't that awesome? I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we would, everything would change. I just had a funeral service for a man and he's with Jesus now and it was a great service. We praised God, we laughed and I mean, it was edifying and encouraging. The guy was a, was a minister, loved God, everything's good. But you know what? I prayed with him not long before he died and I just told him, I said, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but I said, you're, you're nearly 200 pounds overweight and there's consequences. Yep. And I said, there's no doubt that God wants to heal you. But I said, you just can't eat yourself to death and then not deal with the consequences. And he says, you know, I know it's true. And so anyway, he's now with Jesus and he's right. He's slim and he's awesome and... <laughs> Everything's fine, but you know what? It just, there are consequences to the way that you live. And some people just don't deal with this kind of stuff. You've got to use your head for something besides a hat rack. And if you knew God, God would speak to you about these things. God will tell you how to take care of yourself and God will speak to you about things. And yet most of us are leaning to our own understanding we're confident in our own flesh. We're dependent upon the doctors, which I'm not against doctors. I've said this before, but if it wasn't for doctors, all the Christians would be dead. I'm not against doctors, but I'm saying you wouldn't have to have a doctor and you wouldn't have to be worrying about the medical 
bills and your insurance plan if you'd trust God. Leave all the doctors for the people that don't know God. Anyway, I could get off and say some things that get me in trouble there, but if you would just know God, it would solve so many problems. And see, this knowing God comes after you have quit trying to please God based on your own performance. You've quit trying to establish a righteousness that is based on your actions and conformity to the law. And instead, you start just receiving the righteousness which is by the faith of Jesus a faith righteousness, not a works righteousness. And when you do that, that causes you to know God. You know, I have, uh, you know, thousands of blogs that have been written about me that I'm of the devil and all these kind of things. And anyway, it, I've had people that read those things and based on criticism, they form an opinion about me. And then they come and meet me and find out I'm not like that at all. And all of a sudden, you know, things change and we start having a relationship. But if you believe all of the lies that are said, it affects your relationship with people. And God has been maligned. And religion has misrepresented God that unless you do all of these things and live holy, God is not, that's the reason He's not healing you. The reason God, these problems has come upon you, God is punishing you, God is judging you for something that you've done and that is maligning God. It's making God the source of all of this evil. People are saying it's God that caused your children to be born with these birth defects. It's God that caused your marriage to fail. It's God that made you quadriplegic so that you could be a holier person. Those things malign God. And if you believe that, and if you believe God is judging you and punishing you and dealing with you based on your performance, it keeps you from knowing God. You've got to enter into a righteousness, a right standing that comes with God, not based on your performance, but based upon what Jesus did for you. And you have to put your total faith in Him before you can know Him and then the power of His resurrection. Again, you know, the very thing that stops people from seeing the miraculous manifestation of God's power is this wrong concept about that you have to be holy. People do not doubt that God has power. Again, this is Saturday night. This isn't the nod to God crowd. And you believe that there, God has power, you wouldn't be here. You don't get credit for this. This isn't your weekly time of punching your card so that God can approve of you. This is over and above. You're the fanatics. Or you were drug here by a fanatic. One of the two, amen. You're fanatics. You don't doubt that God can do miracles. But what you doubt is God's willingness to do a miracle in your life because your own heart, your own conscience condemns you and you know you aren't worthy. That's where Satan gets us into doubt. You don't doubt God's ability. You doubt God's willingness because you think God moves in our life based on our own goodness. And that is not true. You know, I've seen my own son raised from the dead. I've seen other people raised from the dead. Carly talked about, we've seen blind eyes open. We've seen all of these things happen in just the last couple of nights. 
If somebody came down here and fell over dead, and if I said, how many of you believe that God can raise this person from the dead? Man, most of you would be right here with me. And if I said, I'm going to pray over them and we're going to see them come back to life, most of you would get right up here. You'd want to see it. But you know where I could lose nearly everybody here? I could say, all right, if you believe it, then you come down here and pray for them. And all of a sudden, your faith turns to fear. Your excitement turns to dread. What happened? Did you quit believing that God could do it? You believe God can do it, and you can believe that God can do it through me, but you know you better than you know me. And because of that, you have this sense of unworthiness, and you feel like, oh, God, how could you use me? And most people live with this sense of condemnation and unworthiness, feeling unworthy, and you don't doubt God. You will come and you will pray and ask God to heal you and stuff, but you don't believe that it is done because in your heart there is a reservation and a fear because you know that you don't measure up. And you don't. But the good news is it's not by your good works of the law. It's by the faith of Christ. And if you put faith in Him, then you have His faith and everything that His faith can do applied to your account. When you pray and say in the name of Jesus, this is what you're doing. You are calling on who Jesus is and not who you are. Amen. You know, most of us will say, well, I don't believe you're supposed to take the name of God in vain. And yet Christians take the name of God in vain all of the time because they'll say, oh God, I fasted, I prayed, I'm, just, I'm doing the best I can. Is it enough in the name of Jesus? You have just used the name of Jesus in vain because you called on him, but your faith was in yourself. When you say in the name of Jesus, you're supposed to be saying because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done, not because of myself, not because I deserve it, but because of who Jesus is. And if you call on the name of Jesus and pray in the name of Jesus and yet your faith is in yourself, you're taking the name of Jesus in vain. That's a strong statement. And it's easy to fall into this. You know, when Jamie and I were pastoring in Pritchett, Colorado... We had a lot of things going on. We saw a man raised from the dead in that church. There was 10 people in the church. And it was in a town of 144 people. And after this guy was raised from the dead, we started having 100 come to church. It was an awesome percentage. If I could get that percentage in Fort Worth, man, we'd have a large church, amen. But anyway, we, had, we started having people come and they were just coming and they were having me pray for them nonstop. There was times I didn't have time to eat and do anything. So anyway, it had been days since I had prayed for myself. I'd prayed for other people, but it had been days since I just studied the word and prayed. So I decided to fast and pray and study the word all day long. And so anyway, I was going to do that the next day. The next morning, I had somebody come wake me up at like five in the morning or something. They needed prayer. And so I got woke up out of a dead sleep. I started praying, but it was praying for people and then people came. There was a steady stream of people coming by my house and I was praying for them and ministering the word and answering questions and doing things. And then at lunch, a man that I'd been witnessing to came by and wanted to take me out to eat. And I thought, man, this could be the day that this guy gets born again. And so I didn't eat breakfast because I was supposed to be fasting. And I wasn't going to tell this guy I can't go to lunch with you. 
uh, because I thought he could get born again. So I decided to go to lunch with him and I ate and I was hungry and I ate twice as much as I normally did. <laughs> so the only time I opened the Bible was to share with somebody else. The only time I prayed was to pray for somebody else and I, I broke my commitment about fasting. And so that evening, Jamie's parents came in and she didn't go to Bible study with me. And I had 45 miles to drive to this Bible study I was going to be teaching. And I was driving over there by myself. And on the way I was praying and I just felt so unworthy. I felt like, oh God, I broke everything I promised. And you know, the devil can bring scripture to your remembrance. And I had the scripture come back that all liars will have their part in a lake of fire that burns forever. And I thought of the verse that says, it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not pay. Let your yea be yea, your nay nay, and on and on. And anyway, I was just feeling so condemned. And as I drove over there, I was praying and I said, oh God, but what about the people? If you won't use me because I messed up, just do it because you love the people. And I still didn't feel any faith or any release like anything was going to happen. So I just kept praying and bartering with God. And finally, I said, oh God, just do it because of who Jesus is. And as soon as I said that, the Lord spoke to me and he said, who did you think I was going to do it because of? And you know what? I had fallen back into this thing of thinking that God was going to use me because I fasted and prayed. Fasting and praying is good because it helps you. It changes your heart towards God, but it does not change God's heart towards you. God doesn't love you more if you fast and pray. He doesn't love you less if you don't fast and pray. But you will love God more if you will fast and pray and seek the Word. And so, yes, you need to do the right things. But see, I had fallen back into thinking if I could just do these holy things, then God is going to use me. And that's the very thing that stops God. Did you know adultery won't stop God? No sin will stop God except the sin of self-righteousness where you are trusting in yourself and not trusting in a Savior. Now, if you go out and commit an adult, adultery or sin, it gives Satan an inroad into your life and Satan will harden your heart and it does diminish your your ability to be used of God, not because God is cutting off the anointing, it's because you're condemned. But if you could sit there and in the midst of your adultery say, God, forgive me. And you could just sit there and say, oh God, I'm drawing on your grace. And if you could do that, well then God would still use you. I know some of you struggle to believe that. But he used uh, David after he had committed adultery and even murder. Now there was consequences and it cost David and I'm not advocating sin. Sin is bad. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. You shouldn't be doing it. But I'm saying sin is not the issue. It's when you take your attention off of Jesus and quit trusting Him and you start trusting yourself is the thing that stops the flow of His power. So again, there's a sequence here that you've got to quit trusting in your own righteousness, which comes by the law, and you've got to be found in His righteousness, the righteousness which comes by the faith of Christ. And then that's when you begin to know Him, when you understand that He's not dealing with you based on your own goodness.
I tell you, this is huge because most people just, they, they limit what God can do because of them and they tie God's ability to their ability. Man, it is awesome once you get free from this and realize that really the, the key to the Christian life isn't you getting stronger and stronger. It's you getting weaker and weaker. When you're weak, then you're strong. When you quit trusting in yourself, then God can really do something. When you get out of the way, then God can really move. It's the opposite of what it might seem like intuitively. But I tell you, this, this is what he's talking about. You, you stand in his righteousness that comes by the faith of Christ. Then you know him and the power of his resurrection. This is how you see miraculous, miracle working power flow. You know, again, here's a parallel scripture over in Galatians. Let me turn over and read this in Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, it's right here somewhere. Talks about he that works miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Where is that? Oh, that's the reason I couldn't see it. It's in chapter 3. Thank you, whoever said that. I knew it was right here. In verse 2, Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, This only what I learn of you, received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Well, the answer to this is obvious. It wasn't through what you did. It was through the hearing of faith. You know, think about this. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Was it when you had been doing all of these things? Did you come and say, oh God, I've been going to church for five years. I've paid my tithes. I've been studying the word. I've been doing these things. Now save me. Nobody got saved that way. Many of you were living in adultery. You were rebellious. You hadn't been paying your tithes. You hadn't been going to church. You were mean as a snake. You'd been doing everything wrong. And yet you heard the good news about Jesus and you believed and boom, you received the greatest miracle that could ever happen because you put faith in him. The way that you receive Christ Jesus is the way you're supposed to continue to walk. But people will come to the Lord singing just as I am without one plea. But then when it comes to receiving from the Lord, after they get saved, they will start saying, oh God, I deserve this. And they start trying to get it based on their own performance. And that's the reason it's so much harder to be healed than it is to be saved. It's because you are putting faith in yourself and you're receiving condemnation that hinders your faith. So this is saying, how did you get born again? Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The answer is the obvious, the hearing of faith. In verse three, are you so foolish having begun in the spirit are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? The answer is obvious, it's through faith. A person who is flowing in the power of God and seeing people healed, it is not because they are holy. It is because they have faith in a Savior. It is God flowing through them. It is not them. Thank you for those couple of amens and a couple of head nods. 
Most people don't believe this. You know, the average person, if you hear that a minister, uh, you know, is flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit and seeing miracles happens and things like this. And then if you hear that they committed sexual sin or they stole money or, you know, some kind of a scandal, people all of the time say, well, I thought that God was the one flowing through them. You know what they're saying right there? The moment they see that a person isn't living holy, they immediately think this couldn't have been God using them because they think God only uses holy people. That's wrong. God doesn't have anybody who is 100% holy. We have varying degrees of holiness in our actions, but in the spirit, we're all holy through what Jesus did. We're all made righteous through what Jesus did. And it's only when you worship him in spirit and in truth that you really begin to see the supernatural power of God flow through you. If you are trusting in yourself and thinking that you've got to be holy to have God's power flow through, that's the very thing that's stopping his power from flowing through you. And if you understand this, then I can see people who've been used of God and yet they fall into some kind of a sin. And you know what? That doesn't undo what they've done. And here's a, this will shock some of you, but Romans eleven twenty nine 29 says that the gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. You know what that means? That even if a person goes out and commits adultery, they don't lose the anointing that's on their life. Now you will see a diminished results usually because that person comes under so much condemnation. You can't just give Satan an inroad into your life and give him a free shot at you and come out of it unscathed. I guarantee you, you go out and live in sin, you're going to be under condemnation and guilt and it's going to affect you and it will usually diminish the effectiveness of that person, but not because God cut off the flow of his spirit. It's because that person now has lost their confidence and their faith in the Lord. They are still believing too much in themselves, having too much confidence in their own works and it diminishes it. And also if it's like a minister, other people lose faith in them and it's hard to gain that back. But it doesn't take the anointing of God away. Right now, I'm thinking of a minister. I'm not going to call their name, but at one time, they were the largest ministry in the world. This is 20-something years ago. They had over $8 million a month coming in, the largest television ministry in the world. I don't know if anybody has ever equaled it or not. They were the number one person. And then they had a sexual sin. And you know what? They're still on television. I think on one station... They had a Bible college that had thousands of people in it. Now they have 20 or 30. They had a church that is down to nothing. They still minister. People still get saved. People still get set free, but he's ministering to dozens, maybe hundreds instead of millions. He's still got an anointing on his life. And somebody said, well, after what he did, absolutely. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. But you know what? He just gave Satan so much inroad into his life. It's diminished his impact. And it's cost him dearly, but I can understand this and I can understand God still using that person. A lot of people can't see that. But see, God, it is not based on our performance. If you could relate to God based on what Jesus has done for you, then God could go ahead and flow through you despite all of your problems and all of your hangups. 
Amen. Amen. I've got a friend who fell into sexual sin and, and was pastoring a church when he did it. It took him 14 years of restoration. And after 14 years, I thought he was restored. I had him minister with me some. He spoke in our Bible college and he went and pastored a church again and then did it again. And this time, not only did he have a sexual sin, but he lied to me, to my face about the whole thing. He was sitting right in my house telling me this elaborate story, how it was all accusations. There was no truth to it. And as he walked in the door, a person called me and said, well, I just want you to know that they confessed to me today that everything was true. So I knew it all. And I just sat there for 30 minutes and let him talk and say lie after lie after lie. And then he says, so what do you think? And I said, well, this person was on the phone as you walked in the house and he just told me you admitted to everything today. Man, he was gone out of my house in a minute. And uh, you know what? I told him, I said, look, I love you and I know that God still has anointed you. But I said, I'll never recommend you after you've done it twice. And the worst thing, even worse than his sexual sin was breaking trust and lying. And I said, if I find out you're going to go and apply to be a pastor someplace, I'll go call them and I'll tell them no. Tell them that you aren't serious, that you haven't repented. So anyway, I'm saying all of these things to show you that yes, there are consequences, but you cannot relate to God based on your performance. It's not God who cuts off the power this says that the way you access this power of God, the people who work miracles among you, they do it because they are believing in God and trusting in Him and not trusting in themselves. And I tell you, you've got to get to where you go beyond yourself. There's lots of times that I just absolutely don't feel like ministering to people and yet I go ahead and do it. And I found out that when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I find out that when I'm sitting there saying, oh God, I don't, I don't, I can't do this. You can't flow through me and God, it's got to be you. That's when I see the greatest miracles. But if I ever get cocky thinking about, man, God, I've been seeking you. Everything's working so awesome. Man, I can't wait to get out here. I'm going to do an awesome job. That's usually when I mess up. I called a woman on the phone one time and I said, how are you doing? And she says, oh, I'm weak in him. And I thought, weak in him. And I got to thinking about it. I said, you know, that's really good. Amen. You aren't trusting in yourself, but you're trusting in him. And so this is what it's saying. The ones that work miracles among you, how do they do it? They do it by the hearing of faith and not by the works of the law. So anyway, I hadn't gotten very far over here in Philippians, but let me just turn back over there and end this talking about in Philippians that I may know him, verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, not many people want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. This isn't talking about suffering sickness and poverty and things like this. This is just talking about that when people persecute you, the Lord said that there is a special blessing. There is an anointing that he releases when you suffer for his name's sake. And it's just awesome. I've had people do some really bad things to me 
And you know what? The Lord is just right there to minister to me and encourage me. And it's near, it's so wonderful the way that God encourages you. You nearly wish people would reject you so you could be encouraged. <laughs> this is what Paul's talking about. He says that he wanted to know that he wanted to know him and have the power of his resurrection flowing through him so that he could uh, understand the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might, in, might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And that's not only talking about tragedies and failures, it's talking about all of his great accomplishments and his flesh that was better than most people's flesh. You could have USDA choice flesh and it's still flesh, amen. If you're in the flesh, you can't please God. He says, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect. And again, he's not talking about perfect in your actions, but he's talking about those who have trusted in Jesus and your spirit becomes perfect. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 22 and 23. So as many of us are as perfect, be thus minded to where you just doing one thing. You're putting your attention and all of your faith in what Jesus did, not in what you've done. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Boy, this is a great passage of scripture right here that when you are seeking God and seeking to relate to God based 100% on Jesus, when you get off track, when you begin to start making mistakes, the Lord will remind you of it. He will show you these things. He will reveal it unto you. This is a promise right here. Ought to give you a tremendous amount of confidence. But brothers and sisters, the point I felt like the Lord wanted to get across tonight is that we just trust in ourself, in our flesh, in our accomplishments. And this man who wrote half of the Bible, who saw multiple people raised from the dead, who just, I mean, operated in the power of God. Here we are 2,000 years talking about him. It was a person who was totally committed to what Jesus had done for him. He was a murderer he had done all of these terrible things and yet this is the guy that the Lord used to write half the Bible. Did you know that the majority of the Bible was written by people who were murderers? <laughs> Moses murdered the Egyptian and he wrote the first five books of the Bible plus he wrote Psalms chapter 90. And then David was a murderer that killed a man to try and cover up his adultery and he wrote... Uh, all of the Psalms and then first and second Samuel and first Chronicles and some of first Kings was all written about him. If you add all of this up, the majority of the Bible was written by people who were murderers. How in the world can we miss this? That God uses us in spite of who we are, not because of who we are. Where did we get this logic? that only if you deserve it and only if you are worthy will God flow through you when the Bible is so candid about all of these people that made mistakes. This isn't the Lord putting approval on murder. I'm not saying that. 
You know, I, I was over in England and I used the example of the unjust steward in the 16th chapter of the book of Luke. And I was talking about this man who stole money from his master and his master commended him. And I got an email the week after I was over there and a guy said, oh man, this is great. He says, I've got a child that's got a um, handicap and he and his wife can't work full-time jobs because there has to be somebody with her all of the time. And he says, you, the man of God, gave me a justification to go steal from my employer and use it as long as I'm using it for good. And he says, man, I can steal from my employer and they'll never know. Man, I wrote him back and I said, you missed something someplace. I am not saying that you are supposed to steal from your employer. I said, man, this is wrong, wrong, wrong. And told him, I don't know how you got that out of. I am not saying that it's okay to murder because half of the Bible or more was written by murderers. I am not saying it's okay for you to murder. I'm just saying that God uses people who aren't qualified. God has never had anybody qualified to use yet. He uses all of us in spite of who we are and not because of who we are. And if you can understand that, then that will open up the door to you knowing God in a way that you haven't known Him in the past. You will begin to see the power of His resurrection flow through you. You will begin to start seeing things because when Satan comes to condemn you, then you'll be able to just step aside and say, hey, it's not about me. It's not about who I am. It's about who Jesus is. I was praying for somebody here tonight that, you know, they had some demonic things and they started saying, no, I won't come out and says, who are you? And you know, my first tendency is to say, I'm a disciple of the Lord Jesus. But what I did was just say, it doesn't matter who I am. It's Jesus that you have to respond to. And man, put the pressure right back on them, amen. You get in there and start trying to justify yourself, you're dead. But you start standing in who Jesus is and I guarantee you that demon's got to come out. The mountain's got to move. And so praise God for sending a savior and setting it up so that it's not based on us. Are you aware that Christianity is the only religion on the face of the earth that has a savior? Every other religion, you have to save yourself by adhering to their rules and regulations, wearing a saffron robe, shaking a cup, begging, shaving your head, doing whatever, having a jihad and killing all the infidels. It's all based on what you do. But Christianity is the only religion on the face of the earth that has a savior that came and did everything for us. And it's just us receiving what he deserves and not what we deserve. I'm telling you, Christianity is awesome. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to us. But just like it says over in Galatians chapter five, you can make Christ of no effect if you are trusting in your own goodness. And sadly, that's where a lot of Christians are. They haven't seen the full effect of their salvation because they don't feel worthy. We need to get out of that, out of that works righteousness and into faith righteousness. And if you're ready to do that tonight, I guarantee you all things are possible. Jesus has already provided everything. There is nothing stopping Jesus except our trust in ourselves. That's the biggest problem that we have.
And you need to come to the end of yourself and find the beginning of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Father, I just pray for all of us in here tonight that you would give us revelation of this. That we would understand that the Holy Spirit would quicken this and that, Father, we would get out of the way. We would quit feeling condemned and unworthy and unrighteous in ourselves, and we would trust in our Savior. That we would be standing righteous before you based on what Jesus did and not based on what we have done. Thank you, Father. There's people in here right now that you came here tonight believing that God has the power to answer your prayer and to set you free. And you were hoping that God would flow through me and that maybe I could do something. And yet the Lord is speaking to you tonight and telling you that you don't have to have me or anybody else do something. You have this power living on the inside of you. All you've got to do is get rid of this condemnation, this self-righteousness, and put your faith in Jesus. Stand there and pray and receive from God through who Jesus is. I believe that there's a number of people in here that God's redirecting your faith away from somebody else and putting it directly on Jesus. And right now, you can just rest. You can just turn from your self-righteousness, turn to Jesus, and that God is setting you free right now. I believe that the love, the joy, and the peace the relationship with God that you desired and were hoping that somebody else could give to you, right now it'll come directly through Jesus as you open up your heart and receive. I believe that God is touching many, many people in here. Thank you, Father. Some of you have been living under guilt and condemnation. You've begged God to forgive you a thousand times. He did it the very first time, but you haven't forgiven yourself. It's time for you to forgive yourself. It's time for you right now to just accept that God has cleansed you of this. It says that He has taken your sins and cast them into a sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west. That's how far He's removed your sins from you. You need to get over it. Quit beating yourself up. Stand in who you are in Christ. See who you are in Christ Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive this. I thank you that you are setting people free in here and that they're experiencing this freedom right now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we agree. We receive right now in Jesus' mighty name. You know, if there's anybody here who has never made Jesus your personal Savior, I've been ministering primarily to Christians, but I've shared a lot that could help you. We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. We maintain a website at awmi.net. Our helpline number is 719-635-1111, or you can write us at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.